Hey, Edspire listeners, and welcome to the show. All right, Virginia educators, you may have noticed a new professional development module that you've had to complete in the last few weeks. And this is in part due to Ian Danielson, our guest on the show. He was a central member of the coalition that developed regulations of safety standards for restraints and seclusion in public schools. So we're really excited to have Ian on the show to talk about what that looks like for students and educators, and then moving forward, what schools can do to help regulate um, safety standards in schools when it comes to restraints and seclusion. In addition to being a central member of that coalition, Ian is currently an assistant professor of social work at Longwood University, and he is the former director of Greater Richmond Scan Advocacy Center. And on Edspire, we fully recognize Ian as a game changer, but the FBI also recognizes the work that Ian does to help support children, as he was a recipient of the FBI Director's Community Leadership Award and is a rewardee of the Commonwealth of Virginia Governor's Advisory Board on Child Abuse and Neglect. So again, we're just really excited to have Ian with us. We hope you enjoy the show. And as always, thank you for listening. So we've all, you know, so we've all seen it where we're in the school and we've got a kiddo, you know, we'll say that this kid's, you know, 12 years old student and he or she is having a really hard time with transitions, right? You're getting ready to, to go to music or go to the next class. And this student starts to become really agitated and you can see it. Um, the teacher's aide that typically works with this student um, is not having any success calming or de-escalating the child down. There are some accommodations, you know, where the child may get a five minute prompt right before that transition, or maybe that child has a visual schedule for whatever reason that doesn't seem to be working. And so now we're in this situation where there's a power struggle and it's becoming more and more severe and the child is becoming more and more agitated and just starting to kind of push back with the teacher a little bit, either verbally, um, you know, maybe throwing items around in the classroom. Um, and, and we start to see the child in the situation escalate to the point where maybe the, the school resource officer is now being called. And so the child becomes even more agitated seeing the even hearing the teacher say, you know, can you please call the SRO to come down? And that escalates the child even more. You know, the child becomes scared. Um, and then the SRO comes. And then the situation has escalated to the point where the child has to be restrained. One thing that, you know, I've just learned is like when it comes to, you know, restraints, it is, it is the de-escalation piece, right? That physical restraint is such a small aspect of it, I guess. And, and so what should teachers and, and schools be considering in those situations? Sure. Well, first of all, Holly and Danny, I just want to open by saying thank you for having me. It's a delight to see you. Um, uh, and um, I'm, I'm so pleased that you're interested in this very important subject area. And it's just a, a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, of course. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we recognize uh, in around 2012, 2013, that Virginia's policies uh, in public schools regarding restraints and seclusions were inconsistent across localities and not up to standards of recognized best practices. And because we're a state of local control, so to speak, that absent state law, localities are, are free to make policies or not. Um, 
we recognize that a, a, a intervention at the state level was um, likely to be a, a helpful intervention to sort of raise safety standards in the form of policies regarding uh, conditions under which you can restrain and seclude kids. And when I say we, we formed a coalition among advocates for students who have disabilities, uh, child abuse prevention advocates, uh, attorney advocates, and others from uh, Just Children Legal Aid. Um, so the, the back to your, your very sort of apt case study that you opened with, I, I think that's a very plausible and realistic, it's sort of a cascade of things decompensating in the classroom, right? It starts with, these are the rules. You're supposed to move your body from this room to that room. But if you, um, for many children, especially students who have disabilities, transitions are a difficult thing for them. They can get stuck. Uh, my daughter, Rachel, who's just a wonderful communicator and self-advocate, and she comes to my classes and she talks about sort of a, her own journey. She, when she was younger, had difficulties moving from classroom to classroom. She almost got restrained once. Uh, and so the, the dynamics that you described, Holly, I think are really um, uh, accurate, uh, happen all the time probably happen today in a dozen or more school systems. And uh, yeah, you're kind of pointing to the need for alternative, like what if through accommodations we gave advanced prompts, if the child was a visual learner, maybe we could give like a, one of those red shaded clocks that says in this amount of time, you're going to be moving your body and, or maybe getting to move when there's not crowded halls of classrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just kind of pointing to, um, um, the need to be adaptive and sort of meet students where they are. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, that consistency piece and how, you know, it, it can, it can vary from County to County. It can vary from school to school. You know, you might have one school district that does it really well or more so than others, but then you can have school districts out there that aren't, really following these policies at all right or, or don't um, have a policy or, or or just don't have right exactly and so that's that's a powerful point um i've been through restraint training um mant before and handle with care and and handle with care plus which is kind of a euphemism um and holly you told me that you had gone through restraint training as well and you know to your earlier very good point uh, about 60% or even more of those trainings are about de-escalation. Like what isn't the best case scenario for all involved if we could prevent the need for a restraint or a seclusion in the first place? And so how do we use ourselves? How do we use our communication with students? How do we use our self-awareness of our kind of body proxemics in relation to students? Like would some students benefit if we gave them a little bit of space? Um, recognition of our own emotions. Like we talk about students getting escalated. What about us getting escalated? And do we need to um, have kind of a buddy system or a team oriented system saying, I'm not in a good place to respond to this right now. Could I get some help, please? Um, all those things I think are, are included in trainings because we all agree that if we could prevent the need to, to put our hands on students, um, even under the safest conditions, that would be ideal for all involved. Yeah, and Ian, and Ian, it sounds a lot like um, like what you just talked about is is just about doing what teachers do all the time. It's building relationships. It's finding out about your student. 
And, you know, with, with these kind of students, you might need to take it a step further and find out, talk with parents, talk with, you know, the, the entire panel, your, the admin, just to come up with a, you know, the, a plan when, when some of this stuff uh, might, might occur. Right. We're hoping that the regulations which go into effect January 1, 2021, um, will produce some of those very important communications. I hope there are sort of multidisciplinary teams formed because, you know, they're going to, everybody's going to be trained in the policy and the, the regulations are going to be quite specific, but the way that they are manifest mm-hmm. in specific schools or specific localities is going to vary some by the unique needs of the communities. And um, so I really hope that special ed coordinators and school social workers and uh, education counselors and are, are at the table. You know, I think to some degree, this is trauma informed policy. Yes. Um, not that everybody yeah. who will be affected by it has been traumatized, but but certainly the system itself can be traumatizing. Right. Oh, yeah. And go and just going back to your you brought up the coalition that you guys kind of started. And and we talked earlier about um, having you initially took a, there was a study or data that you guys had in 2013 where you guys looked at the policies and Virginia was very, very low on um, their grading scale. Um, I guess you, you could put it, or the rubric as far as it goes with, with handling regulations of restraint and you know, seclusion. Um, where has it kind of gone from where you guys started this coalition and, and where kind of, you know, how were the steps, what was the process like to where you guys are now as far as you know, creating change for, for these guys? Sure, here's kind of the historical overview. In 2013, uh, at Greater Richmond Scan and uh, Prevent Child Abuse Virginia, which is now called Families Forward, um, we were in communication with Delegate Betsy Carr, who used to be a school board member and who's interested in education issues, and especially in public schools. She expressed interest in um, filing a bill or bills that would be helpful for students who have disabilities. So that sent us exploring and talking and meeting. Um, I had received phone calls before from parents of their um, children who have disabilities calling us for guidance because there were restraints in those school in their school systems that had gone really badly and when the parent called the school to sort of hear what happened administrators according to these parents were saying we can't discuss it with you it's a personnel matter so there was a recognizable lack of transparency um, oh yeah. Um, in a, and sort of schools going into self-protective mode and perhaps not being so protective towards students. Um, so we contacted organizations like the Arc of Virginia, uh, the leading state chapter organization advocating for um, uh, young people and adults who have disabilities, um, uh, Just Children Legal Aid Justice Center, and some of those expert attorneys and 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 lay advocates there who are so brilliant, and we agreed to form a coalition. Uh, a lot of the logistical work in those days uh, was done by MSW student interns working under my supervision at SCAN. Uh, one wrote kind of a policy white paper for Delegate Carr. The second was instrumental in forming the coalition and facilitating communication on email and phone and virtual meetings. Um, and the third was sort of acting in a legislative advocacy role to get bills passed. Mm-hmm. So there were actually two pieces of legislation we took kind of a scaffolding approach. The first bill um, required the Commission on Youth 
to investigate um, restraints and seclusions in Virginia and beyond. The Legislative Commission is part of the General Assembly. That was House Bill 1106 in 2014. So uh, we got to be part of that investigation. We got to furnish uh, commission researchers with with evidence and give uh, kind of public comment. Um, after about a year, the commission members presented their findings to legislative members of the Commission on Youth and presented them with policy options from kind of softer to toothier, I'll say. Um, at that time, Delegate Chris Peace was the chair of the Commission on Youth, and the vice chair was Senator, State Senator Barbara Favola, so bipartisan leadership there. Mm-hmm. Uh, both endorsed the idea that, um, that promulgating regulations to in- improve safety standards in all schools should be mandated by the Virginia Board of Education. So, so it compelled the, the, the BOE to promulgate regulations according to 15 principles that were um, endorsed and identified by the United States Department of Ed. So um, that became the second bill to file legislation to require the BOE to promulgate regulations. And as you know, that passed, that began a long regulatory process, which has drafts and releases and public comment and more drafts and more public comment. And so just this past July, Governor Northam signed those regs uh, to go into effect January 1 of the upcoming year. And now there's a training um, series of training modules that have been done by um, uh, Old Dominion University. Um, to, and those, so people are going through training as we speak in preparation for the, um, the big um, effective date in January. In getting this passed, right, you said that you had a lot, there were a lot of speakers, you know, who people in, in power in positions of power talking about their own experiences in public school or in schools in general when it came to being restrained. Um, so can you share a little bit about maybe some of the testimonies or stories that were shared from, from adults sure. kind of to their childhood? Yeah, when the second set of bills, you know, the legislation actually to require BOE to promulgate regulations, those that was... Um, House Bill 1443 and Senate Bill 782 in 2015. Um, Our bill is referred to Public Education Subcommittee of the Education Committee uh, on the House side. And um, a young person was testifying uh, who, who was on the autism spectrum as to terrible experiences he'd had with being secluded for long periods of time locked in a room without oversight, um, not being able to um, really have a voice. He was, according to him, he was told um, not to tell his parents. And so this went on for a long time and gave very powerful testimony. And right afterward, I will never forget Senator Tom Garrett, who then became Congressman, U.S. Congressman Tom Garrett, a prosecutor from the Charlottesville area, uh, was was kind of waiting in line to, to um, speak to his own bill. And he raised his hand after this young man gave his testimony and said, may, may, may I ask a question? And the chair of the committee said, well, yes, Senator, you can. And Senator Garrett said, um, look, I'm, I'm as dyed in the wool a conservative as they come when it comes to being very hesitant and usually opposed to U.S. or state control over locals like i i think that 
people ought to govern themselves as much as possible. But this is different. Restraints and seclusions in schools are a different matter. And I know because I was bullied by a teacher when I was a student. And I just want to offer to become a co-patron of this legislation. And he did. And so I thought that was a very powerful, compelling, you know, to hear a conservative who is sort of like uh, wants things decentralized to say, well, some things actually the power has to be centralized. Some things the, the locals got to do what the state says. Um, and when it comes to children's safety, you know, it, that's a case in point. Right. Yeah. And that, I think our teachers, you know, all of us are, are well-intentioned and well-meaning, um, you know, but and I think it goes back to what you were saying, Ian, about needing that policy. That- uh, yeah, I feel, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I just feel like, yeah, you don't want, as a teacher, you want to be as knowledgeable as you can to handle those situations. You don't want to find yourself as like, I, I guess I can put in kid terms, as like a pop quiz and, and this situation happens and you're in the gray area, um, not knowing where to go left, where to go right, how to react, how to deescalate. Um, so the more you are prepared, the more knowledgeable you are, uh, it, you're going to better handle that situation. Um, but like, if you feel like you're in a gray area right now, like I know Holly and I definitely feel like we were in a gray area before talking with Ian, um, like make sure you seek out that knowledge, make sure you go seek out, you know, administrator and to kind of talk through those situations. Ian, I know oh, no, I no, interrupted I you. Go ahead. Uh, well said. Um, so for sure, I appreciate that point very much. You know, uh, the, the hope is, is that there's going to be a bit of a culture shift. And things are going to be better uh, for students, for teachers. You know, I think many would agree, and I'm not trying to say that um, all students with autism experience things the same way because everybody's different. But for students who are on the autism spectrum, who have um, sensory integration difficulties or sensitivities, to be restrained when things are already emotionally um, escalated can just be absolute uh, horror and chaos for that student and actually can make things worse. You know, you can't say, oh, that restraint's over on Tuesday as if there's not uh, a carryover effect on Wednesday and beyond or, mm-hmm. or damage done to that relationship. Right. So um, hopefully all will agree that if we can reduce the need for restraints and seclusions, it's going to have a preventive effect and an, an improvement of the school milieu in general. And I guess my question, you know, stemming from that is, you know, we, our listeners, we have t- teachers, parents, you know, interns, um, but for the, for the teachers and administrators out there, and I'll say even just, you know, if you're a teacher listening to this, and maybe you're in a district or a county where, you know, there isn't a lot of conversation happening around this area, maybe you're in a different state. What would you kind of say to that teacher who who's maybe observing some things going on in the school, some questionable practices when it comes to working with students who are in crisis or, or you know, having a difficult time? Like, what would you say to that teacher who notices something but doesn't really know what to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I that's a great question. And it comes up when, you know, I'm a social worker. And so I do training and mandated reporting. And like if a student, if a teacher or someone suspects child abuse, uh, what about uh, reporting and what about making a, that decision? I think it's kind of similar in this case. One is please don't ever feel like you have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders alone. Like education is meant to be collaborative and there's really good evidence for multidisciplinary collaborative practice 
in all service professions, right? So I think that there ought to be committees formed that make sense so that schools understand the policies. I'm sure they're feeling like, okay, this policy's coming down. We got to do this this way. It always feels right, that right, way. right. Another thing, but a larger <laughs> conversation about like maybe we can um, um, treat this as proactively, and maybe look at it as a as a tool for uh, improving our school's culture. And um, you know, here and assistant principals ought to be sort of modeling. Let's do this right. I really wonder if. Um, special education citizen advisory councils, and I guess most localities ought to really be trained up in these policies and have kind of a friendly oversight function. They're the ones ought to be asking, how's it going? How's the training right. going? Like checking in. Yeah. And I'm sure like so many things that these councils, some are probably more active than others, but um, that strikes me as a place where you may find some internally motivated people. Um, but to that teacher, I would say never go it alone. You know, have a relationship with the school social worker or with the, um, with the school counselor. Um, and um, I never, for, for example, made a, a CPS call without consulting a colleague, even though it was clear cut that I had to, by law, make a report. I was like, I'd rather have somebody check my work, um, maybe shed some light on something I hadn't thought of. And I always appreciated their support when I did reach out to them. And having that buddy teacher where you can say, hey, can you give me a break? Or can I, you know, have a student take a break with you for a little bit just to give both of us some space? Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. One thing I noticed in the, the regs is that they define what restraints and seclusions are. And they also describe what they are not. Like a restraint is not a teacher um, kind of coaxing a student to go down an empty hallway to take space and have a discussion, even if he sort of like puts his hand on his shoulder to kind of gently divert him. That's not a restraint. Yeah. So could there be a case where, I don't know, it's kind of in the middle and mm -hmm. one teacher needs to say to another, like, uh, I think that was a little bit beyond a friendly walk down the hallway. And I think actually an incident report probably does need to be done. doesn't mean did right. anything wrong. It just means we need to um, document. To document. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think every student needs an advocate and, you know, you're not, you're not, you're, you might step on the other teacher's toes, but when you're advocating for a student, I think that that should rise above all, all other things. That's Absolutely. what we're doing as you know, as educators, for sure. So, yeah, no, well, I like that. And the point. transparency there may also help the teacher. Like, just because an incident right. report is being done, it doesn't mean that the burden of proof just falls to, like, uh, like a suspicion that the teacher did the wrong thing. It's really just that we need to capture every restraint and seclusion so that we can see frequency and prevalence and reasons and compliance and... Um, maybe it just needs to be, a, it'll turn into a training issue if something could have gone better. So this is not um, really out of suspicion of teachers. It's it's a push for consistency because, you know, student yes. safety is that worth it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great, great point. Great point. Um, so I, I love that. So on that point, I'd like to kind of like, we're, we do, we like to do an exit ticket for for our listeners 
And I just want to go back because I love the, the fact that you guys were able to form this coalition out of, you know, out of different um, interests, but had the same connection, had the same, um, you know, I, you know, ideology about, you know, proceeding with with the policies and the regulations with when it has to go with restraints and seclusion. So, you know, as you know, Holly and I are looking to be game changers such as yourself, like Ian. So like what what would you say to another educator, maybe in our position or someone coming up? On you know how can we make those connections early uh, with with someone that we can either get team up with or to help create this change or if if we have a policy or a regulation maybe not policy or ideologies towards teaching or teaching strategies how can we team up or find those connections like you did with um, you know with both of these advocates that you know that you guys formed that the coalition that obviously has has done a whole lot for yeah Danny know, I really appreciate so that question a lot and one thing that comes up for me when you say that is that um. You know, micro practice, you know, for teachers, that's the direct teaching and for social workers, that might be the direct case management or the direct clinical work. Um, That's micro. Uh, Macro is kind of policy advocacy or um, being on a policy implementation committee, right? That if teachers work so hard, uh, they work on weekends, Um, they have to play so many roles and, you know, they, they're explaining to other people why their job is still not done yet. And, you know, it, yes. it's just sort of relentless. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can actually be energy giving to, to give teachers an opportunity to step out of micro practice for a moment and get to serve on something that's kind of like top down change. Uh, whether that's I mean, a lot of, you know, government teachers can't go lobby at the General Assembly as a teacher. But as a citizen, they, there's a number of things that they can do. They get to have opinions and voice things and, and take positions on matters. Or maybe a little bit more locally, you know, if there's a multidisciplinary committee form to, like, think through implementation of these policies or to make the school more trauma-informed, you know, maybe this, the teacher can get a bit of a, a release of something to be able to go serve on that committee and try to have a, um, a top-down effect on things. So micro and macro are really sort of uh, intertwined. They're, they're portrayed as so polar opposite or something, and they're really interconnected, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. so sort of live in that interconnection is what I yeah. would say. And then, Ian, think, think about this as like a suggestion. Like, what do you think? I'm just throwing this. This kind of just came to me. Like, if like we have safety committees, we have you know different committees, what happens having a trauma committee just to make sure that you can provide you know the up-to-date resources is that something that i mean i'm I'm, i know holly and i were probably thinking about it for for you know our school but what do you think about just that idea of starting something with my ears to hear you say that danny (laughs) 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 i do know in greater richmond uh, greater richmond scan has kind of taken administrative responsibility for forming the tican which i think is the trauma-informed community network or care network care Care network network. okay and it involves schools school representatives Mm -hmm. and um you know that there's a fantastic film called paper tigers which is uh about how a school became a trauma-informed school um so i think your idea is a great one and fortunately there's some resources you know some toolboxes that you can go to to kind of take that great idea to another another level let me know how that works out yeah, it would have implications for restraint and seclusion, you know, because uh, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, I know Holly has a lot of pull at our school, but I, I, I know I don't have that much, so I'll make sure I'll put that. I'll leave that behind. I'll put that on my plate. 
Um, but ju- you know, just an exit ticket for our listeners. Like um, th- when you're thinking, I like like the phrase, you know, boots on the ground. When you're, you know, trying to create this change, when you're trying to, you know, create these partnerships, um, make sure you're speaking out. Make sure you're you're helping to push uh, that consistency that Ian's talking about to you know to your school and and, and spread that culture of of awareness uh, when it comes to trauma and restraint uh, throughout your school. But I definitely not not wanting to be in that gray area. So just go ahead and, and reflect on on maybe. How, how can you deal with, with uh, this information that Ian's kind of provided us today and how you can make those connections moving forward? Ian, uh, you know, any last, um, any well, last thoughts? Uh, again, thank you for having me. It's been a delight talking with you. I, I'm sort of getting a big lift from, from your passion and just your, your clear sort of student-focused values. I just, uh, you know, you guys are obviously doing great work where you are, and it all goes together. Um, I would say, you know, I hope that teachers and staff and aides and administrators um, are just collaborative in thinking through the safe implementation and and hopefully keeping the common mission involved, which is student safety um, towards student learning, you know, toward keeping maximizing student capacities. And so if we keep sort of the mission in the center of it and collaboration as part of it, there's kind of, you know, nothing that can't be done. Well said. Oh, I love that. That gave me chills. Yeah, I love that too. I love that. Um, Ian, thank you again. Um, we, we appreciate you. Um, thank you for joining us for on Edspire. My pleasure. Thank you Danny. again. Hey, hey, Edspire listeners, make sure that you subscribe to us so that you don't miss a single episode we are throwing your way. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Edspire Podcast.